0: Let's pray before we get any yes votes on that. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we do sing this morning, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You, of all the beings in the universe, are uniquely and only worthy of worship. And Father, we we pray that what we do here, as little, fragile, frail, feeble, sinful creatures that you made out of dirt would somehow in some way be pleasing to you, would be an acceptable sacrifice in your sight, pleasing aroma, and that we would give off the odor of having worshipped you and been your people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Chillicothe Bible Church. If you're a visitor with us, let me extend a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad that everyone is here to worship God together, uh, to exalt Jesus Christ, and to lift up His name. And as part of doing that, we take a significant portion each week of our service and open God's Word and study the Scriptures together and see what God has to say to us. Uh, this week, we'll be continuing our study in the book of Ruth. Uh, we'll wrap this up next week, and then we'll turn towards Christmas in our messages. Uh, and Ruth is the story of how God provided for two defenseless women. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen how God provided for Naomi by giving her this wonderful daughter-in-law, Ruth, who contrary to all social, familial, cultural expectation, has decided not to return home to her own parents, but to go back to a country she has never lived in with her mother-in-law. Now, since this was Thanksgiving, some of you spent time with your in-laws. And you might just think about the irony of that. Uh, (laughs) But in any case, Ruth decides that she is going to go home with her mother-in-law, someone to whom she is not related, to a land she has never been And she has actually shifted in her allegiance from her Moabite gods and goddesses that she, as a Moabite woman, would have grown up believing in and following and worshiping and has decided in that great passage, you know, that your God will be my God and your people will be my people and your place my place and where you go, I'll go and where you die, I'll die and now I'm going to be buried there. And she invokes the Lord's name in making this vow. She has become a worshiper of Yahweh instead of Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. And God has provided for Naomi through Ruth. And Ruth, we saw last week, was out gleaning in the fields, and she just happened to show up in the fields that belonged to uh, Boaz Naomi's close relative, who was close enough to be a kinsman redeemer, and he just happened to show up and meet her, and he just happened to treat her like family, even though she's not a blood relative. And God is providing for these two ladies. And uh, and in fact, she is, Ruth is continuing to glean in the fields all the way to the end of the harvest, and they're not in danger of starving anymore, but they're still in a tough situation. It's a, it's a, difficult day in the time period of the judges, uh, when people were immoral, when they ran about lawless, doing whatever was right in their own eyes, as the book of Judges says, and they're still defenseless, and yet God is providing. And So we're going to look, we're going to start looking at the book of Ruth. Uh, We're going to do this kind of a chunk at a time, do things a little differently, shake things up every now and then. Um... Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 says this, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? And is not Boaz, in, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Therefore wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing, the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now, as I pointed out last week, by the end of chapter 2, not a whole lot has changed. Ruth and Naomi are still alone. Ruth is still a foreigner. Naomi is still too old to find another husband, and even if she does find another husband, she's still too old to have children, and to have a husband for Ruth, In that means... They're no longer at immediate risk of starvation, uh, but they're still without a man to protect and provide for them at a time in Israel's history that's very dangerous for women to be alone. This period in Israel's history was a time when the poor were oppressed, when the, uh, the defenseless were attacked, and when the virtuous were assaulted. And if you read the book of Judges, it gets worse and worse and worse the longer it goes. And the more years that that add up, the worse the nation becomes. And this is a very difficult, dangerous period. And here are Ruth and Naomi. And in spite of these obstacles, Naomi comes up with this plan to have Ruth go at night and essentially propose marriage to their kinsman, Boaz. Boaz. And, uh, you know, she says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, first of all, take a bath. Always a good idea before you go out Uh, (laughs) on a date. Is it looking for a man, ladies? uh, You can write that down, all right? Uh, Put on perfume, Uh, another good idea. (laughs) Okay, put on nice clothes. You know, you need to look good, right? Um. And she says she's, she does these things for the purpose of being, of being alluring and desirable, right? But also for another purpose, because Ruth is a widow. And widows, you know, in this country, widows, it used to be customary that there was a set period of mourning. I think it was usually 12 months, during which women wore, if they were a widow, uh, black almost everywhere they went. And it was a way of signifying that my, I've, I'm a widow, I've lost my husband, um, there's a period of mourning that's a socially recognized custom, and is also a way of saying without discussion to all of the single men who are available, I'm not available, leave me alone, okay? Some single gals when they go out, even if they're not married, will get a ring that they wear on this finger for the same purpose, they want to be left alone, right? Right? And women did this as a way of signifying that, they, that they're in mourning. They didn't wash as regularly. They would wear um, a different type of clothing. They would not put on perfume. It was They were in mourning. And so Ruth is not just cleaning up because, hey, you know, I'm going out to find a man. Let's put on the, let's put on the good perfume and the nice dress. Um, it's not just that. It's also to indicate to Boaz that she's available. The period of mourning is, o- is over, uh, by the way, big guy. How about it? You and me. Uh, okay. Um, she's signaling. Without having to say anything, she is explaining to him in a clear, visible fashion that she has observed the period of mourning for her husband, and she is now on the market, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Um, there's not really a, another way of saying that, but, um, that's what she's doing. And so, and this is a risky plan on several levels. Uh, she's doing this at night, um, uh, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, because she can't be seen doing this. And, and number two, because, uh, this is a time when he will be more approachable, she thinks. Uh, but there's some risks involved in this. You know, one risk is that suppose Boaz is insulted. I mean, Boaz is a wealthy man. He's a man of property. He's a man of standing in the community. And here comes this poor Moabite woman with nothing and comes to him at night and is going to propose marriage. It's entirely possible That he says, oh, well, you know, you drag a dollar through a trailer park, you know, and pick up all kinds of people. Seriously, is that an attitude that some wealthy people have? Okay. That's what, there's a risk that he may think that. And he may think, well, here's just this woman who's a gold digger. And she's after me for my money and he and she'll be rejected. And if she's rejected, that carries with it another risk because guess what he also is? The food supply. Okay? And he could say, "Get out of here, woman, leave me alone." Go away. Leave me alone. You gold digger? Go find somebody else to rob. You foreign woman? And he could they could have their food supply at risk. She could have her reputation at risk as a woman of virtue and of standing and of integrity. Uh, Another worst of all, uh, he could think uh, that she is a prostitute because what's she going to do? She's going to go up to him, perfumed and dressed nice and cleaned up, and uh, she's not going to say, will you marry me? she reaches down and she's going to uncover part of his body. And the word that's there means the lower half of his anatomy. Now, he's probably still at least partially covered, but this is a gesture that would not be done under ordinary social circumstances. This would be something that would only be appropriate for a woman to do in a marriage context. And he could think, this woman is a hooker. She's coming to me in the dark. She's trying to undress me. What's, what's with this gal? And he could either have a negative view of that, you know, and have the, the rejection reaction, get out of here, leave me alone. Or because it's such an immoral, nasty time period in Israel's history, he could have a positive reaction to that, which is worse, and assault her. And it's dark, and they're alone, and they're out in the country, and there's nobody around. And something very bad could happen to this poor woman. And she could have her reputation ruined. She could, she could, have, uh, she could be assaulted. And things like that during the time period of the Judges really did happen. If you don't believe me, read Judges chapter 19 and following. And so there's a lot at stake on how they have watched and observed Boaz and seen him to be a man of character. Her safety, even her life, could be at risk. Definitely their food supply is possibly at risk. Uh, Ruth's reputation is at risk. But she is saying, Look, Mom, you told me to do this. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to try it. They say that the measure of a man is what he would do if he would never be found out. Ruth is about to put Boaz in that situation. And she's about to find out what kind of man this is. So let's see. What kind of man is Boaz? Start in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits... He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, and Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. Now, she does exactly what Naomi has told her to do. She goes, and, and after the harvest, the men would thresh the grain, and they would, they would beat the grain on, the, on a hard surface, and they would throw it up in the air, and the chaff would blow away, and they would be left with the heads of grain. And it was a very festive occasion. It was a big party. It was kind of like Thanksgiving, you know, you'd have a big meal out there at the threshing floor. You'd pass the wine. You'd pass around the food. You'd get a full belly. And what does everybody want to do after they have a big meal and a couple glasses of wine? Take a nap. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay. You start to go, oh, man, my pants don't fit. Need to go put on the sweats. Okay. <laughs> uh, it lays down. And he lays down. He happens to lay down at the far end of the grain pile away from everybody else which is just happens again one of those things that just those divine coincidences that just happen throughout this story Um, he lays down away from everybody else so he's isolated himself and so what ruth is about to do can't be seen which is good it's good for her it's good for him but it also puts them in a tempting circumstance But she waits until after he's had his fill, and then then when he's over there cutting up some lumber at the far end of the grain pile, she comes up and she takes the cloak that he's wearing as a blanket, and she kind of whips it off of the lower half of his body. And he, quite naturally, I think, in the middle of the night, gets cold and wakes up. and she says something very interesting to him he 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 looks at and the text literally says and he turned and behold a woman okay <laughs> that's what it says you know it's like and the NIV smooths that out and he discovered a woman lying there but it literally says and behold a woman <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm, this is weird. I went to sleep and there was no, I know, I would have remembered if there had been a lady laying there. And there was no lady when I went to sleep. Man, that must have been some glass of wine I had. Um, and, and there's this lady and he's like, and he's kind of half awake as people are, you know. And he says, who are you? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. And the word she uses for servant is not servant like slave girl. It's a word that would be used uh, as, by an honorable, exalted, even married woman to describe herself, but to put herself in a subordinate position to him. She recognizes that he is a man of position and, and standing in the community, but she is saying, but right below that, buddy, is me, I'm your servant, Ruth. And then she says this. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, this is an interesting word, that corner of the garment. It literally literally can be translated wing, spread your wing over me. Now, I want you to go back to chapter 2 because I want you to see this, okay? Uh, Boaz says this. Okay. He uses the same word, verse 12, chapter 2. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. Her answer to him in chapter 3 says, remember when you prayed that? That the Lord would provide me with refuge? How about you answer that prayer, big guy? It's a bold statement. Right, And the garment that she's referring to is this cloak. Uh, people had, a, had kind of some wine cloth type stuff, you know, underwear that they wore. And then they had kind of a, sl- a long sleeve robe uh, that they wore over that. And then this cloak, an outer garment that was the thing that distinguished you as a person of status or a person of poverty, depending on what kind of thing it was. And at night, what you would do, especially if you were sleeping outdoors, would be take that cloak off and unwrap it and use it as a blanket. And she says, I want to share your blanket, essentially. okay, She's saying, marry me. Marry me. Because the other thing that happened in Jewish wedding ceremonies when a man and a woman got married the man would take the corner of his cloak and he would wrap it around his wife like this to designate that we are now married. Which is why in Malachi, you know, when God, when God is speaking about marriage to the people, he says this. He says, I hate divorce and I hate him who covers his garment, his cloak, with violence. In other words, If you beat your wife, God is against you, okay? You have just ticked off the Lord of heaven, all right? Good luck with that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the garment became symbolic of marriage because of the way it was used to designate the beginning of a marriage relationship. And she says, spread your wing of your garment over me. I want to marry you, chief. And he gets the idea real clearly. And and then in his statement, he indicates that he knows that she is not a dishonorable woman. Look what he says about her. He says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. In other words... He sees her, She sees what, he's, what she's doing as a favor to him, not the other way around, which is interesting. Shows you what kind of opinion he has of himself. But he says, on top of that, he says, you've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. In other words, I know you're not going after me simply because I've got a big checkbook. Because if you were going to do that, you surely would want a younger guy, not a geezer right he understands that she is is pursuing this relationship specifically because he is her he is her mother-in-law's relative and there's a social custom and a law with reference to that of building up the family line of her deceased husband and she's trying to be an honorable woman and he has not step forward and fulfilled his responsibility and she's therefore trying to encourage him to do that and then he explains why he hasn't done that why haven't you know you're the kinsman redeemer how come you haven't been a man and accepted responsibility for your responsibilities and he says well i am a kinsman redeemer um, but there's somebody who's a nearer relative than i am and it's not me that's lame, it's him that's lame. <laughs> and so I'm going to, in the morning, I'm going to give him his right of first refusal, and if not, we're getting hitched. So stay here the night. Um, now, let me say this, okay? Um, he he gives a couple of reasons, you know, look, I'm an old man, and so he didn't think that Ruth was interested. And number two, uh he uh, he has this other relative, but he he makes it pretty clear that this is a, he thinks this is a wonderful idea, okay. And despite the fact that Naomi has come up with this crazy scheme, it has worked. God has used it. Uh, those of you who are young singles, this is not an admonition, by the way. <laughs> okay, um, but sometimes God works even through our nuttiness, uh, in spite of us. And he brings something good out of it. And God is going to bring a redeemer one way or the other come daylight. Uh, and by the way, I should also be clear on this. The text is clear uh, that nothing immoral happens here as they spend the night together at the threshing floor. Okay? There's no even implication of that. It's clearly a very tempting situation. They're alone. They're a man and a woman in the dark, alone, away from everybody else. It's clear, and they're attracted to each other. It's clearly an tempting situation, but nothing immoral happens. But in the morning, when morning comes, she gets up when it's still dark, and before you can see your hand in front of your face. In fact, the text reads, Before a man could distinguish his neighbor... In other words, you can't tell who is there because <laughs> it's so, so dark that you know that there are people, but you can't see any faces. And he says, come over here, let, let me get your, get your shawl out. And she, he fills it up with barley and sends her home. Because he's wanting to provide for her and to care for her needs, even if he doesn't wind up married to her, even though he would like to be he understands that the law and and the custom requires but he's like he, his attitude is one of i'm going to provide for her regardless he says don't go home to your mother empty handed right in fact that's what the the last part of the text here says ruth 16 or 3 316 when ruth came to her mother-in-law naomi asked so how did it go my daughter natural question right Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, a couple things to note in these verses. Uh, Look at how Ruth answers Naomi's question. Remember back in chapter 1 when... Naomi is griping and moaning and complaining about her situation. And she says, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Quote Ruth says, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. Same word. And what Ruth, I believe, is trying to indicate to Naomi is, you remember, Naomi, God is providing for us. You're not empty. God is using me, and he's going to use this man to provide for our needs. He's going to provide for you, Naomi. God loves you. He is taking care of you. And here's the thing, too, okay? The emptiness that's being filled is not just simply physical, I don't think. It's not just, well, you're hungry and God is going to give you a snack. There's, there's a romantic and a relational aspect to it, too. You don't have to wait until next week to see how this all works out. But God is providing for the relational needs that Naomi has and the romantic relational needs that Ruth has also and so it's not that God simply cares about the physical things he also cares about the emotional things and the pain in your soul that doesn't go away after you've had a slice of pizza God cares about those things and he is dealing with them and meeting them well why is this text here? Why did we have Ruth chapter 3 in the Bible, right? Uh, there are a couple things here. You know, this isn't like one of Paul's letters or one of the Gospels where the point is pretty obvious. Uh, you have to do a little, a little thinking about this, but here's a couple things, I think, that, that we can learn out of this text. Number one, trusting God does not necessarily mean that you simply sit passively by and wait for God to do miracles. Okay, can God do miracles while you sit on your butt? Sure, He can. Uh, can Can God work in a situation where you just say, "Oh Lord, we just hope you deliver here"? Sure, He can do that. And in fact, He commonly does. But that's not the only means that constitutes trust in God. Okay, sometimes God also chooses to work. In fact, he often does this through our activity too, okay, that we pray for a solution, but we also work toward a solution and ask God to intervene in the midst of it, right? So, as an example, if you have, if you have cancer, do you want to pray for healing? Yes. You also want to go see the oncologist? Yes. Okay. Uh if you have a, a a difficulty with your boss at work, is it good to pray about that? Yes. Should you keep showing up to work? Yeah. <laughs> you better, okay? Otherwise, God might ensure that you use, you lose your job for being lazy, right? Um and not work out that situation. But there is there is a time, uh, you know, Nehemiah tells the people as they're building the wall, pray. And get a sword and fight for your homes, okay? And here in Ruth, God certainly expects them to trust him for provision, but he also works through the actions that they took, okay? And I think it's important to remember that, that, you know, Ruth does kind of seize the initiative to take some action steps to push this man toward doing the right thing, and that's not necessarily bad. And it's not a lack of faith that she does that. It's because she trusts God to protect and provide for her that she does that. I know that God is going to work something out, and I know that he's going to use this man, and therefore we're going to do what we can to figure things out, and God is in that, okay? Uh, the other thing is, the other thing is this, and I think this is, if possible, even a more important point, that you need to act honorably even when no one will know but you and God. Uh, Ruth and Boaz are in a situation where at a minimum the the setting for sin and the potential for it is high. And where even the potential for abuse is possibly there. No one will know what transpires out in the country in the dark between these two people. Away from everybody else. Ruth could easily seduce this sleepy man. And then use that to force her way into a marriage with him. He could easily take advantage of her on the other side. And then use that to spoil her reputation. To make her a social outcast. And to satisfy his own lust. And no one will ever know. But because these two people are both people of integrity. They decide I'm not going to use this situation to my advantage. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to obey God even when no one will know going to obey God even when no one will know. And Boaz, in fact, he is such an honorable fellow that he, even though he wants to marry this woman, and even though he, if he as a relative, has a responsibility to marry this woman, is going to subordinate that to other people's needs and responsibilities. And Ruth is very careful in how she appeals to him. She appeals to him respectfully and wants to avoid being misinterpreted in a difficult situation. And again, the measure of a person is what they will do if they'll never be found out. You know, you watch enough politicians, you figure out pretty quickly that most of those people If they knew they'd never get found out, they'd do whatever they could get away with. Some of you have worked for business owners that are the same way. Well, as long as nobody knows, then it's okay, right? Or maybe you've dated someone and that you've been out alone, and they say to you something like this, oh, come on, no one will ever know. Well, you will know and God will know. And if you're a person of integrity, that's enough. That you will know and God will know. And you're not going to compromise your integrity on the altar of expediency or desire. Let's pray.